It's episode 170 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Kathy Towers. Yay! <laughs> Please tell me what you're up to at the moment, improv-wise. Well, I, I I teach for Creative Culture Southwest, so I'm in Devon. Well, we're just building up a team, actually. It, for, for a long time, there's just been one person teaching, and a couple of years ago, that began to change. Oh, was it a couple of years ago? Even less than that. And when I stepped up to the plate and um, then we started getting other guests in uh, teaching. So so we now have four teachers who do rotations um, just, just once a week and occasionally have some surprise elements when somebody comes and visits. Like Chris Mead was very close to Exeter <laughs> a few weeks ago and I said, stay an extra day please or <laughs> come and come and do a session with us and he did so so we're beginning to expand and we've had other other guests too we had josie lawrence i mean <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> yeah, yeah well she she's she was doing a show at the northcott theater and they decided to put on a couple of workshops for local people who do improv and so there were some improvisers, some comedians, some people from Exeter College, all in this massive workshop with Josie and a, a colleague of hers. That sounds amazing. So you've got these weekly workshops that in the, you've got the four different teachers. So are they aimed at beginners? Are they aimed at everybody? What sort of things are you covering? What's sort of set up there? Well, it's been more or less one class for everybody for a long, long time. And we've just got in somebody who's a serious actor, and Josephine, who's doing the, the next level up. So, so she's moving people from being improvisers into actors and, and being able to do long form uh, improv. So, so it's just getting going. And I'm also in a new performance group I had to audition for, and we've got a mixture of people who play music, uh, comedians, actors, and me, <laughs> an improviser. And we we don't know what we will be doing other than it, it will evolve. So we've, we've been funded for it. Creative Culture have been very good at um, getting some money in, and they're paying for about 45 hours of coaching for this group to develop as a performance group. It's really interesting that you're taking improv, but then working with people who are in other areas. That's really fascinating. How's that working out? Well, we haven't started yet. It oh, starts, right, okay. starts on the 4th of March. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you after that. All right, fair enough. But, but I did do the audition with them. And, and when you think about it, a stand-up comedian always has to be able to improvise with whatever happens in the room. Um uh, actors, you know, they, they, they need to be able to improvise when things sort of get adjusted or the words that somebody says are a little bit off kilter, then they, they need to adapt their words. 
and, and of course, imp- improv is the, the best way for actors to develop a confidence on, on stage. Yes. I'll be interested, once you've started, to know what they've taught you. Yeah, I'm, I am so looking forward to that because it, it's like, right, this is, I, I am going to learn everything from these people that I possibly can. And and because I, I, I like sort of mix and match, I like sort of getting things, um, you know, new, new and fresh. Yes, I love um, I love learning from other improv teachers, but I also love learning from other people outside of improv because mm-hmm. I've been doing improv for a while. So, although I'm always learning new things, it's not at the rate to, that I was when I was a beginner. But now, if I do a dance class or a clowning class or something like that everything's new and it just sparks off connections to do with improv in my mind. Yeah. And that helps you develop new uh, games to play, new exercises, uh, rather than just relying on going through the same old ones that we've been going through for 50 years. Heck, progress, (laughs) innovation. Uh, Oh, that's another thing. I, I work with the innovation work. I won't say work. I, I take part in a group um, called the Playful Lab at the Innovation Centre at the Exeter University. So so that's a really interesting learning experience as well. What happens there? They use play to innovate, to develop, to educate, uh, and have a whole attitude of keeping your, your mind open and experiencing things rather than being lectured and this group is open to students, uh, lecturers and outside people. Anybody can come along who've got an interest in education and innovation. And then once they've come along, what happens in a session? It's completely different every time. I did a session on public speaking and using improv. Um, I had a friend who presented a session on uh, sensory deliciousness, basically. <laughs> what does she call it? Uh, I can't remember. It, but but there's delicious something about delicious in there, and about using and exploring all your different senses to. And they've also got a whole course designed for creating a board game. Uh, three-day intensive course. I was in the uh, trial group, so so I got a, a special freebie there. That was very nice. And they, they just guided us through, including using improv, including using play, uh, a lot of communication stuff. And we ended up designing a board game, which we then had to present and get the, the other people to play. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Was it, was it a hit? Uh, well, the, the about three days later, I used a, a modified version of that in a workshop that I was running with a group of counsellors on your relationship with money and charging. Because I have a whole other whole other line of work, you know, with with my um, therapy work. Um, tell me about your therapy work. With the- <laughs> With, with the caveats that I always say is that uh, improv can be therapeutic, but it is not a replacement for therapy. And if you need therapy, you should get therapy. 
Please carry on, Cathy Towers, if you agree. <laughs> or if you don't, it's also fine. Uh, it, it's true. However, I think if you do a lot of improv, your, your need for therapy reduces remarkably. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of crossover because uh, I've been a psychotherapist for several decades. I can't even remember how many. And there's a lot of crossover between improv and acting and and therapy because the, the goal of therapy is about becoming more yourself, more free, unshackled from that which holds you back. And that's what we do with with improv. And that's what uh, you do in acting as well, that, that sort of deeply exploring a part of yourself. And if, if you're not exploring that part of yourself, then you're well, you're really acting, putting on an act rather than being. Because I, I have this idea that we we don't aim to act in improv, we aim to be it. Don't we? To inhabit that that perspective, to explore that part of ourselves, whether it be a a, a grumpy old man or um, an excitable teenager. We're exploring that part of ourselves. So how do we how do we become more ourselves in in improv or in, in in psychotherapy? It's by taking risks, actually, getting out of our comfort zones. Uh, you know, if, if we stay in our comfort zone, we will always be who we've always been, and the the person who's leading a class, if they're setting a safe environment, well, safe contained environment rather than a safe environment because that's very difficult to to assert so a contained environment where they're taking care to make it safer for people to explore something that feels risky scary um the unknown then people will take those steps and then when you take those steps, you begin to change because you know something else about yourself or you've achieved something or you've done something you've never done before. Uh, like maybe you've never told somebody to shut up. But you can do that in improv and it's like, wow, what did that feel like? What was the impact of that? What was the response? <laughs> Would I like to do it again? With some people, yeah. <laughs> So you're uh, is, it, is it expanding what your own definition of yourself? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I I think that's one element of it. I think the other element of it is the amount of confidence that you get from doing and saying these things in um, public. So you're in front of other people doing it. So when I work one to one with people as a therapist they get to experiment with me and then how bold they are in doing that outside of the room is, is up to them. But when you're doing it in a group and it, you're doing it in front of people anyway, and, and so, so you're, you're losing some of your inhibitions. Sometimes we have to be careful about that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, um, the idea of you know the, the, the container, 
creating something to i mean are we can you talk more about that how 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 would we do that if we were running an improv session or a, or a therapy session for that matter uh it's by setting some guidelines, if you like, some parameters. Uh, you know, so in therapy, the classic one is is we're we're going to meet for this this amount of time. So same with improv group, but with with therapy, I keep very tight on that time. Um, because if somebody's got to be somewhere else, or they need to have a break between, or whatever, you need them to have time after it to also. Uh, gather themselves again there will be for example confidentiality and in an improv class there will be things about how we behave with other people so one of the things that I've said to to my groups is if there's anything that comes up a scene starts being acted out that is triggering for you then we can interrupt it with new choice. And without discussion, we just drop that scene and move on to something else. Now, that that enables us to get away from a triggering situation uh, or a sexist stereotype, for example. Uh, and it also enables us to experience that we can just move on very quickly, very easily, without conflict, We've just agreed that we're going to do that. I love that because um, I've used you know, safe words, but actually by using new choice, it's, it's lovely. It's already part of improv. It's already part of our vocabulary. <clears throat> and we're just playing, we're slightly just playing another game on the game we're already playing. So, yeah, that, that's, that's really beautiful. I'm really, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and and I I say beforehand, you know, that we're aiming to play from our highest intelligence, but when you're being spontaneous, sometimes your low intelligence is the first thing to hand, and that can get very boring, because that's where our our stereotypes, our habits, our uh, sticking points are, and and our gutter humour as well. Is there a parallel? between that stage in improv that I think a lot of beginners go through and in therapy. Does that happen in therapy as well, or is it different? Uh, yes, it does, actually. Uh, I think of people start telling you the story that is very familiar to them, and sometimes they're telling you the story with no attachment to emotions because they know the story so well. And and in, in those cases, I, I would just put on the brakes and go, hang on a minute, how, how do you feel about that? Or what's, I, I, you seem to know this really well. I bet you've told this a dozen times, a million times. And is that what you want to cover here? Is that where you want to go? I don't know, <laughs> you scratched your face up then. I, I, I scratched yeah. my face in the deliciousness of that. All right. I can see beautiful parallels in improv mm -hmm. because sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, you're telling this story. But as you say, this is a story that you've told before and it's rehearsed and there's not really any emotion to it. Yeah, You're not learning anything 
the audience isn't really learning anything. It's just, you know, it's an established pattern. What I'm really excited about, okay, let's be spontaneous. Let's break out of that pattern and let's tell a new story and have a new discovery. So I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see the parallel between improv and uh, therapy mm, there. Mm. And I, I remember way back when, when I first started um, improv, I was uh, in a class with Josephine leading it. And I can't remember whether they picked it up or I picked it up, but that pattern in me to default to high status because that was a safe place to be. I'm in control around here. <laughs> so, so I could keep things safe and contained. And I made a deliberate decision to start going low status in as many scenes as possible. And and that's there's such joy in that and sort of, I don't know what's going on, just leave it to somebody else and, and to, to lead the way and, and explore what that might be like. Yeah, I think it's very powerful to have that awareness of the sort of status that you normally play and then try yeah, then try and flip it, try and play it in a different way. I'm interested what sort of um because there's different types of therapy and some of them the therapist is very high status. So I'm thinking sort of Freudian mm. sort of thing. And then we've got more person-centered therapy, which is more on a level. My understanding is that they're more on a level with the person who's receiving the therapy. I'm just interested to know, is your form of therapy one way in which you're a high status in that? No. Uh, I, I my, my training is in psychosynthesis. And it's a very creative thing. And, and when I trained, I don't know whether they still do this, because that was a long time ago, we used to call ourselves guides. And, and so, so you're not leading the way but you're going with the person you're accompanying them on on a journey essentially uh, and a journey of self-discovery and self-exploration and and that's what we do in improv as well isn't it yeah no, that's i i once again i'm finding that very delicious i always i don't, I don't want to interrupt you because I'm, I'm interested to hear that that train of thought play out mm. So how do we do that in, 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 in this form of therapy and also in improv? I, I think there's something important about not so as soon as you go into high status position, then either you assume you know everything or other people think you know everything. And and that might not be the intention of going into high status. It, it might might be to just somebody has to make a move here um and and yeah yeah then, then then you get loaded down with a load of responsibility and an expectation that what you say is right all the time that does not in my view create a learning environment i feel i have to be open to learning from whoever i'm working with all the time otherwise there's no growth and if I sit in a therapy room with somebody and I'm high status, then I'm not I'm not sitting there in, in the mire with them and knowing what it's like for them. I'm I'm sort of pontificating on it <laughs> from the sidelines, in my view. <laughs> so so yeah, and sometimes I say to people, 
you know, they'll really, I, I don't know, they might say, I don't know what's happening. And I say, I don't either, but we're going to, we're going to sit in this and sort it out together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's something delightful about that is that, yes, you know, I don't have any problems. I don't have any great insight, but I'm going to be with you while we go through this process. And sometimes knowing that somebody's there is just a very mm -hmm. powerful thing, I think. Yeah. So I totally agree about having a sort of a more collaborative approach when you're teaching improv. And I sometimes I will try things and sometimes they will work and sometimes they won't work. And it, that's that's a learning experience if it works and if it doesn't work. But I really want people to kind of, when they're in one of my classes, just to be a little bit critical of, of what works for them. And they will take away what works for them and then they can leave what they don't. But certainly I'm not saying everything I know is right. Actually, you, you've just, you've just um, picked up there on one of the other things that I use to set parameters at, at the beginning of the classes is inviting people to think, how can I make this work for me? Uh, because if something's, oh, I don't want to do that, how can you turn that around? How can you participate? How can you adapt something to make it work for you? So you can take what you want from it. And that gives everybody else a learning as well. And And it also reduces the amount of time that people might sort of withdraw or hold back they, they, they've got a responsibility there to to find a way to to overcome whatever resistance they have yes it also i think helps with reducing the amount of questions that you get at the start when you're when you're explaining an exercise sometimes you'll get people that will want to ask questions well what if this happens what do we do then and it's like solve it and whatever way you solve it will be fine yeah, because yeah. sometimes when you're explaining a game the more you explain it the less it starts making sense to everybody so it's important to know when including to yourself <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's that's exactly it and it, it's it's like well let's see what sense you make of it let's just try it and see and and we don't all have to have the same understanding of it. Yeah. Mm. And you're very interested um, in embodiment, in the use of the body in improv and, I presume, therapy? Yes, because apart from being a psychotherapist, um, I'm, I'm also a body worker, so I do something called zero balancing. Um, not so much now since the um, lockdown. <clears throat> But I've always had an interest in, in embodiment. I was a nurse for seven years uh, before I got into the therapy work. I did massage training. I did zero balancing training and practice. And I feel it's really important to embody change, you know, physically, to feel it in your physical body, because that's where the root of all stress and tension is and that's where we hold our memories in our physicality and you'll, you'll find that 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 once something releases in somebody's psyche then their body changes 
you, you know, you can sort of sometimes look at somebody and know by the way that they walk, puffed out chest, you know, up, up erect, that, that that's a sort of slightly inflated ego, uh, to say the least. And so, so you can recognize these things um, in people and you can see who's submissive, who's dominant in a relationship. You can see who is wheedling around ideas. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's a really important thing to explore. And I also feel that that our body is a barometer. So we've, we've got, what do I think? What do I feel? And what do I sense in my physicality? Yeah, and that deep, deep gut knowing as well, that's sort of beyond all three. So we've got truth can be different at all those levels. I can think that somebody's an idiot. I can feel compassion for them. I can sense in my physicality that actually it's a bit scary being around them because they're, they're unpredictable, for example. But I can also deeply know that I will be safe with them that they'll back off if I say that's enough for me, for example. It's a trust that's, trust exercise going through those different levels. That's really fascinating. I haven't I haven't heard of that before. That's yeah, that's really exciting. It's interesting what you say about the people carrying is it are they carrying their uh, their emotion in their physicality? Yes. Yeah. And then Certainly in improv, I do a lot of physical work and encouraging people to become aware of what their neutral is. So I get them to walk around the room uh, just as they would normally, but to try and become aware of what that normal is and then to experiment with you know, moving more slowly or moving more quickly and just see how that feels and see what, what comes naturally to them and what they resist so they come a bit more aware of what their default is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I used to do a workshop called Walking Gorgeously, <laughs> which was based on zero balancing principles and also self-awareness of your physical body and how it made people feel differently when once they'd sort of really grounded themselves in their walk and, and the confidence that comes with it as well. So, yeah, it was just a little workshop that I had designed for uh, a natural health fair, actually, that we were doing some promotional work at. So what sort of uh, ways would you get people to walk? Ew, I've got to remember it now. Well, well, one of the things is about how you hold your body. So um, tucking your tail under a little bit, for example, straightens out your spine. Whereas if we're in a tense mode, our pelvis tells, tends to slip forward a little, so we get a bigger arch in the lower back, and that gives you a corresponding bigger arch in the neck. Um, so, so you will have two weak points, the, the neck and the lower back, and you're likely to get pain. And if you're tilting your tail down, then the rest of you begins to change, and then, then sort of get, getting the idea of, 
a thread coming from the top of your head that brings it up. So you're not deliberately trying to push your neck back, but allowing it to stretch out and lengthen. And I also get them to, to lift their ribs a little as well. But work, working in pairs to, to do that. And it's, it's they, they're just, wow, <laughs> it suddenly changes. And we also did some stuff about massaging the bottom of the foot to release tension in the back of the legs so that you could stand more freely. It, I think it's very easy if you don't think about these things to just be unaware of how you're walking. So mm -hmm. just having somebody point out like this, I think is really powerful. I've just remembered how it came about, actually. I was at a, a women's business network and all these women were walking in uh, a friend, friend and a couple of friends and myself were sat there watching them coming in down these stairs in high heels and really struggling walking. And I do Argentine tango, so, so we wear high heels for, the, for that usually. And I looked at these women and I said, oh, gosh, I need to do a workshop on how to walk in high heels gorgeously. And they said, yes, yes. So I did it, and and then the, but I I didn't I didn't have my heart in it because it's like I don't I don't want people to be walking in high heels. It's bad for you. I don't want to be encouraging it. So so I did a few with that, and then I I just moved it over until generally walking gorgeously. How how can we embrace our body in a fluid, flowing way? Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, can you just tell me, I know you haven't done it for a little while, but can you tell me a little bit about zero balancing? Because I've not heard of that before. It's uh, evolved from a mix of osteopathy and, what's the other one? Um, acupuncture. So, so it's very simple lifts and stretches into the skeleton of the body. So, so, so nothing that is manipulative. But just giving these little lifts and stretches sort of eases the body out through the joints and reminds you how you used to be of your natural self. And there's one description I've always liked is being returned to oneself. And that there is a real sense of, oh, yeah, this is me without all that scrunched upness or tightness or fear in my body uh, and it can make quite dramatic changes for people or it can make quite subtle changes depending i've had for example i had somebody come to me with uh, um just about to go into hospital for an operation on her shoulder because it was restricted and she couldn't lift it up and she said, can you do anything? I said, I had, I had no idea. She said, well, I've tried this and I've tried that. and I've had injections and I've had this and they're going to do an operation on it. I don't want an operation. I said, well, let's give it a go and see what happens. I didn't honestly have a clue. And the next session she came back, she lifted her arm straight up in the air. She goes, look. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> well done me. <laughs> yeah. But it's not me, it's because what I'm doing is facilitating that person to reconnect with her core self. And so all the trauma that was 
associated with that shoulder and building up because that fear of going to the doctors of having an operation and such like it was becoming more and more focused in that area and it was gone um so so you can have something dramatic like that or you can have oh someone who's struggling emotionally uh with with life and when you ease it out of their body that struggle they just begin to enjoy life before again and they can't remember what it was like before <laughs> sounds amazing and the other thing i recommend is shiatsu i really like that too tell me more i don't i've never had shiatsu well, I can't tell you a lot because I'm, I'm not trained in that, but it, there, there's some similarities as in they're working on the body with the energy flow of, of the person. So, so yeah. So I'd, I'd prefer to go to a shiatsu person because I know how zero balancing should be done. So if I go to a zero balancing p practitioner, I'll be, I'll be in my head going, eh, hang on a minute, you missed a bit there. <laughs> or, or <laughs> just, just it's always it. difficult. It's always difficult when when you're uh, you know a, a trainer or a practitioner uh, in a topic. Well, in some ways, it's an advantage because if you go to a training session and um, they're good at it, you get double the value because you get what you're being taught, but you're also learning about how to teach it. But mm -hmm. as you say, if they miss a bit, then you're going to be more aware of it. You've mm -hmm. been thinking about the definition of teacher and trainer trainer recently. Yes, that's that's true. Um, because we we call ourselves teachers in improv, which is actually more about teaching the the theoretical stuff. And uh, a teacher has a it has a program to deliver. And I think more improvisers are actually trainers where we're teaching the practical skills and knowledge. And we also have the ability to design our own courses. I mean, if, if you're working within an organization that is going, right, we've got level two must co cover that and level three must cover that, then um, it, it might be different. You might consider yourself more of a teacher, but I think a trainer's uh, are, are more free to design their own things. And I love that design a part of the process because I'm, I'm running a beginner's course at the moment. So there are aspects of it that are the classic things that you would expect to do in a beginner's class. Mm -hmm. But I'm also bringing in the things I'm learning at the moment and the things I'm passionate about. So we did yeah. some checkoff technique, um, partly because I was trying to make people feel comfortable standing in front of an audience so we did some visualization and we imagined um unconditional positive regard flowing out of our hands to the other people um and then they they stood in front of the audience and i hope that, that would make them feel more comfortable so yeah I, lo I love the design part of a teaching course uh training course you you just reminded me of um a friend friend of mine and he was doing a promotions thing had a stall in the middle of the high street in Exeter and he said that they decided that they would work at s sending out this 
de desire for people to, to come to them, to come and ask them what, what they wanted. And actually, they all started veering away. And so they, they, they stepped back and thought, how about we just exude love? And they started coming towards, you know. <laughs> so, so rather than we want you to come to us to buy our thing, they're just sending out the good vibes and the happy vibes. And so people were attracted to that. And they would have done that through their physicality, I presume. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. So, so, so they were improvising. Do I feel loving towards these people? Yes, I feel lovely today. I want to be warm and kind. And we pick things up in micro level in people's physicality. You know, so some, sometimes we can act out quite a, a gross way of being happy and loving, for example. So by putting on strong facial features. But actually, if we just think it, it will be transmitted in our face as well. Yes, I've um, been very interested in the sort of the acting techniques where you go very big with the embodiment of the emotion. And then you try and hold on to that feeling of emotion that you're expressing, but then just dial down the, yeah. the physicality. And yeah, it's amazing how much you can still express by very subtle movements. Yes. And and I've I've just been in a straight play. My first ever straight play. <laughs> I haven't even done it in Amdram. And our director, it was Harold Pinter play, the birthday party. Uh, our director, she'd chosen three of us and then took on another two um improvisers and then one person who worked professionally as a straight actor or um, just pure acting and so five of us were improvisers and used to working together and the, the other guy came in much later because he replaced somebody who had to drop out and she, she'd take us through all sorts of exercises where we'd we'd do the same piece uh, so you've you've memorized your words and you do the same piece from the perspective of being angry or the perspective of being sad and just exploring the different emotion, but also taking it to extremes. So sometimes we were almost pantomime and then the other another time we'll be really dialing it down. And she, she also wanted to stretch us up into that extreme so that we could naturally settle down into something that was what she really wanted. That's that's fascinating. It's it's always, I think, hmm, I'm going to make a sweeping statement. I think if you're going to improvise, if you're going to improvise plays or scenes, I think it's really powerful to actually go and do the real thing so that you know sort of what you're aiming for when you're doing improv. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly taught me a lot. It was, I, I feel like it was a real privilege to work with her. She was so intense and so focused. And she used improv as well. Uh, so she'd go, okay, let's do the backstory because she wanted to get a relate, better relationship between these two characters. Uh, so, so me and Petey, for example, um, she then got us to improvise the backstory of of 
what was going on between us and and what our marriage was really like and uh, and that was fun too so she was adapting to right i've got improvisers in the room let's use it <laughs> mm. and uh one thing that i know about harold pinter is that he uh has a love of pauses yes and i love and pauses a, too and you love pauses as well i do i do i I, I did, uh, I've done a couple of um, presentations for the Applied Improv Network, and one was the power of pause, and the other one was about embodiment. And uh, I just think it's so crucial because unless you create a space, there's no opportunity for something new. So I'll give you an example of one one of the exercises that I did with with them um, was uh saying a name saying someone's name so you're partnering up say their name and then would you give me 100 pounds so i might say to you Stuart, would you give me 100 pounds yes <laughs> 100 pounds <Great>. result <laughs> oh no i've been caught out with that again keep doing that. <laughs> Giving away that hundred pounds because people ask me to. But but allowing that pause allows for us to feel the conflict in uh, the the person who's asking for something to actually ask for something outrageous that they they wouldn't normally. Um, I've had people in classes asking for a million pounds or buy me a new car or something, and then the other person has has to or can say no you know you can say yes and yes and kathy i'll give you an extra hundred as well <laughs> that would be nice but but it's just seeing what is it like what's the compulsion inside and what might we, we do differently because this is a conflict moment when somebody asks you for something uh, I also think it's an invitation for the audience to engage and to lean in. Like yes. They've heard this and it's like, oh, what's going to happen now? Yeah. How are they going to handle that? Because this, this, this is something where you can identify with. We've all been in that situation where somebody's wanted something from us that we don't want to give or we don't want to give that much of. And so how's this person going to handle it? It's a learning opportunity for the audience as well as the participants. That's beautiful. So you've already uh, taught us just how to use the power of the pause. Have you got another game or exercise that you love um, that you can share with us that we can all learn how to play today? Yes, I have. <laughs> And it's it's a it's a body work one, and I use music quite often in in classes because it gives it gives a bit of an energy when you're warming up people, and I have some I use Ben Sounds, which is free, free copyright free. That's it. That's the word I'm looking for, and I play. A variety of different tunes or bits of the tunes so, so there's one i've got which is called jazzy french that's on ben sounds 
and I just invite people to walk around the space and look at other people and engage with them. Then I'll play Happy Rock, which I offer them the description of it's the end of term and your kids and it's very lively and people get very playful with that one. And then there's a tune called Epic. And so I invite that there's a gathering of people to vanquish the mighty enemy. And that takes you from walking around the space and just being aware of other people to playing with other people to gathering together for a purpose so it's it's developing your group cohesiveness and um if there's time if i feel like it think they're up for it then there's another one which i call which is called slow motion which i take them to go boldly into whatever scene your imagination gives you in in the music so it's it's like the potential for a new beginning or discovery and so, so yeah it, it's getting them using their physicality to express themselves there's no words and they're interacting with other people in different ways so i think it's a damn good explore exploration <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And anything anything that reduces the amount of words that are used in improv, I think, is a really powerful thing. And also, yeah, the music is so evocative and so powerful. And it just takes you to places that you might not normally reach for. And it takes it allows you to become characters that you might not normally think of to be. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds very and, powerful. And, and also, you're not alone. When there's some music playing, you're responding, you're in relationship with the music. So you're not alone. So that's another big thing for me is relationships are very important. Uh, so you don't feel completely silly because you're going with the music. Yes, I had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. It, yes, well, it's, it's it's having another scene partner essentially. Yeah, yeah. And and relationship is something that I'm exploring. I'm beginning to to develop a. A project that I'm calling Everyday People. So uh, I've, we've done a performance, we've done a, done a class, uh, and I'm looking at developing some more in the future. And I'm wanting to create an intimate theatre space, if you like, an intimate. So, so they're small groups, um, small audiences, and we're looking at relationships that are very relatable and how can we create connections between not just each other on the stage but for the audience so so that people begin to start leaning in and going oh gosh I know this one because a a lot of the improv that we play we can go to some very obscure places and and that's immense fun but I you know, with this therapy background, I just like exploring these. How can we get closer? How can we get more intimate? How can we take some risks that are more realistic and closer to home so, so that we're exploring the depths of ourselves as well? That all sounds fascinating. I would love to know the answers to all those questions, but I suspect it's still early days in your uh investigations there are no answers there are just more questions (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, talking of more questions, we have two big final questions for you. Oh. That I always ask. And the first one is, if someone were to step on stage of you, what could they do to delight you? Wow. If they were on stage in front of me, um, what could they do to delight me? They, they could pause. They could look me in the eyes. They could... I, I don't know. This. The word that's coming to mind is frisson. And I'd want a tiny, tiny something rather than a big something because a tiny something draws me in, catches my eye. And it's like a little secret between us. And this this is like Argentine tango dancing. You, you can see two tango dancers and they're barely moving around the room and then suddenly they'll both burst into a big smile because they they, they did a little something that nobody else can really see um, or they've had a little response to the other. Mm. Sounds amazing. Something minute, yeah. Mm, but 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 that could explode that could lead somewhere but for yeah. the moment it's just between the two of you mm. that sounds very exciting <laughs> and what's your signature move what's the thing you do that saves the day brings down the house has everyone going classic kathy I don't think I've got one yet, Stuart. I'm going to have to work yeah. on that, aren't I? Actually, I, 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 I'm going to ask people. I'm going to ask people. I don't know. I'm, I'm, as, as I'm thinking about it, I think I will get some very clear answers to that. But What answers are you going to get? I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I know people have an idea of who I am and what I what I do. And I'm just going to have to check it out. And they have a clearer image of who you are and what you do than you do. Well, if you're talking in terms of performance or or, or in real life? <laughs> Either, whatever. Classic Cathy in real life has a, a witty, quick, very quick wit. I'm not necessarily like that on stage. I do use a lot of pause on stage and pro probably more, more than the average person. And I do take my time. But again, that, that's the way I've been trained as a therapist and such like, so it comes naturally to me. But it sounds it, like a signature. It's not, it's not hugely entertaining, is it? <laughs> No, I think I think uh, I think that sounds like a brilliant signature move, and that sounds oh. very powerful. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I didn't know exactly what you were going for. But <laughs> mm. Oh, one thing I have to say now is thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Stuart. That's been interesting. <laughs> Good directions. Thank you. All right, I'll, I'll have stop to listen back and see what I think of myself. <laughs> This. That's improv! <laughs>